Underrated. I'm Matt Fisher. I'm Ryan Whedon. And this is a podcast by a couple of guys who dated for a blink of an eye over a decade ago now. And then podcasted for a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. What is this, 30? 37. Man, that's my age. Oh! <laughs> that I will be someday. Probably. <laughs> All your hard living, you might not make it that far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's a it's a lifestyle I chose. <laughs> Live and fast, die young. Yeah. Leave a beautiful corpse for everyone to admire and uh, take selfies with. <laughs> In your grave is just going to be a selfie stick, so people just have to crawl into the coffin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll like make them force my rigor mortis hand into a thumbs up. Um, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. You'd be surprised how much you have to save for a, a coffin with a window and uh, the ability to crawl into it. And so you won't be buried. You'll... <laughs> yeah, it's like Lenin. Just a glass tomb. Yeah. Okay. That you can... Uh, Airtight. And uh, take your picture with me. Wow, you really think highly of yourself. <laughs> I mean, this is what the fans demand. I didn't really have a choice in the matter. I'm going the Walt Disney route and having my head cryogenically frozen until oh. such a time that full body head transplants are a viable option for me. Wow. So. If it's possible to have your head uh, grafted to some sort of mechanical slash robotical thing, would you rather have that or to a human who lost their head? Mm. Did the robot have sex? Is it, are we talking like data? Like a fully functional? Yeah. Mm, sure, or if it's not available at the time of the ability to put the head on, uh, it's an add-on that could be put on. But I'm not sure if insurance would cover it. And then the human option, are we talking like spokesmodel category, or is it just like lottery, like pulling a name out of a hat and just seeing... Where things fall. Seems like it would just be whatever's available. I don't like those odds. What I'm worried about is the uh, <laughs> rising levels of obesity in this country. <laughs> so, um, so what you're saying is you don't want to opt for the human version until America loses some weight. If I could like window shop the bodies first. Okay. You know, pick one out of a catalog. Mm-hmm. I could do that. I'd be fine with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, I think I'd go for a fully functional robot. Yeah. I just like the idea of a robot body. What's my energy source? Where I have to like, plug in at night? Mm. I already have trouble with my phone on that. Like, <laughs> like the electric grandmother? I don't know what that is. <laughs> You've never seen the electric grandmother? Is this something to be seen? Like, I'm... It's, a, it's like a, it was a movie. I want to say it's Canadian. Maybe made for TV. This family's mom dies, and then they like send away for grandma and she shows up via helicopter in like a sarcophagus and uh she just comes awake and she's like electronic and she squirts like hot chocolate and orange juice out of her fingers and... so this is episode 38 of x-ray <laughs> preview coming attraction uh yeah i don't know it was a movie i saw on tv a lot as a kid that's like one of, that sounds like one of those weird television shows about like you know, a family whose dad dies, but he, like, made a robot to, like, yeah. fill in as, like, a surrogate father figure, and, like, the robot teaches the kid, like, how to be a man, and then, like, the kid teaches the robot how to love. 
Exactly. I'm not working on a pilot or anything. <laughs> so don't ask. Sounds good. I like this. Our first foray into TV. Well, you know, the sort of growing cinematic nature of television, it was only natural. That's true. That's and, true. you know, I'm still, of course, reeling from our miniseries outing last week. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> uh, did you watch anything fun this week besides the movie? I saw the new Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. With your Spider-Minx crush? Yeah, and it only got worse after watching that. Oh, my. He is a charmer, and he looks like, you know, about ten years old in the movie. Oh, dear. But a fully chiseled and toned (laughs) ten-year-old. There's a... I mean, it still suffers from some of the same problems that any of the MCU films have. Mm -hmm. And I kind of found Tony Stark's presence to be just totally distracting whenever he showed up. Oh. But the rumors are that Iron Man's not going to survive the Infinity Wars. Oh. Uh, and so they're sort of grooming Spider-Man to sort of take the helm as, like, leader of the Avengers. Okay. But the movie just, it I just thought it was well-crafted. Like, it's pleasantly, diver- like, uh, pleasantly surprised at the diversity of the cast. Like, okay. they changed a lot of the races uh, from the original comic book. Like, uh, Flash, who was, like, the bully in the, in the like, the comic books and mm-hmm. the cartoons... He's played by, I can't remember the actor's name, but he was in Grand Budapest Hotel. He was the lobby boy. Oh, okay. Zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's still like a bully in this, but, you know, a different type of than just like the high school quarterback jock bully. Sure. Um, and just, they, you know, they do stuff like that. Like they very actively took a step towards having a diverse cast. That's great. And the way that it plays out, it, it, it's, it's not just like they chose to be, you know, colorblind about the cast. Like they did it consciously because it kind of plays into how the story unfolds oh cool um there's a lot to like about it so i have a little bit of uh marvel cinematic universe fatigue yeah oh yeah um would is this one uh going to help contribute contribute to that getting better or getting worse uh i would say that your fatigue will go away slightly after seeing this if all the mcu movies were of this caliber i don't think anyone would be suffering from marvel fatigue okay yeah cool did you watch anything this week? Uh, I did. I went and saw a movie in the theater that was not super successful. Uh, I went and saw uh, Valerian mm-hmm. in the city of a thousand alien planets. I mean, I went in rooting for the movie. I was really, really rooting well, for it. Because you like some of like Luc Besson's yeah. other stuff. Like, you're a Fifth Element fan. I'm a fan. huge Fifth Element fan. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. This movie really tries to get to that, okay. and it, do- it just doesn't. And you know what its biggest problem is? A, the script could have used a little more a, a, a little more finesse. Okay. Like, the, the plot's okay, mm-hmm. um, and there's enough, like, imagination involves with it to keep your attention going Mm -hmm. the dialogue is trash it's so bad and then uh man casting that casting director should be fired oh really the people yeah the main characters are just charisma vacuums like you every dahan didn't didn't bring it oh (laughs) so dull He's just like a low-rent Keanu Reeves. Like, it's bad. It was Oof. bad. Um, but I loved the like originality of this of the idea. Like the, the idea of this huge, you know, 
space station basically uh, is really cool and they kind of like give you these um, little windows into it which are really great like there's a bunch of aliens that have to live underwater so they build like an area that's like all underwater on this thing and then there's like these weird robot things that are kind of the brain of the whole thing and they live in a weird robot area and that was all cool that was that was really fun and um, I liked the look of it a lot too it's like the definition of eye candy it's really great in that department but it was just (laughs) I mean dialogue tropes were were hard to it's based on a like a fairly old comic book isn't it yeah it's based on a French a uh, graphic novel. Yeah. And apparently it's like a huge volume worth of it. A lot of people say that Star Wars, especially New Hope, stole a lot from the original graphic novel. Oh, okay. Uh, like the trash compactor scene, I guess, is like mm-hmm. totally out of That's the funny because it, it's, in the, it's in this movie and I thought they were stealing from Star Wars. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I, I just didn't realize that the comic book or the graphic novel was that old either. The, yeah. You know... In 1977, George Lucas could have been stealing it from someplace. That's so. true. And it makes me wonder because Snowpiercer is also based off of a French graphic novel. Oh, yeah. So I'm wondering, like, they just must have a different sensibility of what outlandish is, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know that in America, like, when Watchmen was initially published, like, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that was in the late 80s or 80s, early 90s. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, it was just, it was a big deal to have, like, a comic book of, like, this size and scope and yeah. things like that. But it kind of seemed like maybe elsewhere, or at least in France, yeah. they were already operating on this level, so... Yeah. I will say I recommend this movie, though. <laughs> it's really worth... It's worth it. Okay. It's not good. Like, you gotta go in with some low expectations, but it was fun, at least. And I enjoyed <laughs> sitting through it, even though the, the dialogue was brutal. <laughs> dive headfirst into the sun. Uh, today's movie is Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Yeah, I think I was reeling a little bit from our journey to old ye old London town last week because I didn't realize that you that you were saying Danny Boyle's Sunshine and I thought you were, the movie was Danny Boyle Sunshine <laughs> and I was expecting this movie to be like something in the English countryside Starring, you know, Cillian Murphy, and I was like, I've never heard of this. This sounds great. Uh, I have seen this movie. Mm. So uh, last week I'm all, what is this? I've never even heard of it. Um, I have seen this movie, and uh, I was happy to watch it again, though. Okay, okay. Well, good. I just want to clarify that. (laughs) (laughs) Danny Boyle, you know, he's got a handful of good films under his belt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel like he has a tendency to over-direct from time to time. Uh, I would say... Uh, most egregiously would be in his movie The Beach, where it's like you have a fine movie that, like, in the last, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, it's suddenly, like, he's afraid everyone's getting bored, and he's just, like, throwing random ideas. <laughs> and there's, like, a scene where Leo's running through the jungle, and they make it, like, a video yeah, game sequence. Yeah, it's so painful. That's yeah. what I always think of, too. It, I'm like... Ooh. I don't know, it was so uncalled for. It makes a little bit of sense when you think about the book, because he talks about, like, saying, oh, this is like a video game, but, like, it doesn't work in translation. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's both underappreciated as a director and maybe 
too praised at the same time. Because uh, he does good work, but I feel like he he knows that he's a good director, and he lets it get away from him. Yeah. Because, you know, 127 hours mm-hmm. for basically a movie about a guy pinned to a rock, it's pretty entertaining. Yeah. And, like, the Steve Jobs movie, Steve Jobs, uh, you know, it's just three scenes, and it's mostly just, like, two or three people in a room talking. <laughs> uh, so to, like, turn that into something, like, you know, interesting, like, on a visual level, you know, good on him. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Sunshine's probably my favorite of his, though. Oh, okay. And part of it is I feel that Sunshine does for logic and ethics what the matrix did for intro to philosophy concepts (laughs) okay and it illustrates it in such a way like it's not just explaining it to you it's illustrating it with these like you know cool sci-fi concepts and situations yeah i can see that uh it helps drive the point home when you you see these people like sacrificing themselves for the sake of the mission mm-hmm. and things like that yeah and I would um, I would agree with you that he does a great job of illustrating that up until we get introduced to the fundamentalist religious person who kind of gets a little heavy handed there at the end so this is my third viewing of this movie okay and you know I'm fully prepared for how much I did not like the end of <laughs> And I really tried to look at it as, like, dogmatic fundamentalism versus logic and reason. Sure. And, like, this is, like, the big showdown. Which I think is how it's supposed to be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, man, does it not come across (laughs) that way. And, I mean, I know we're already jumping to the end here. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert, but it's really sort of thematically unsatisfying that Basically, they win just by running out the clock. They don't win by by having reason and, and logic like out. beat out the the fundamentalists. Like, yeah, it's just sort of like they just keep everything going long enough that it can't be stopped. Yeah, and it's like it it's a win, but it doesn't feel like a win because we're not using the skills that the characters have like developed through the whole thing. And it's right. Like, you know, they're not winning based on, like, their principles or their skill set. Like, they just kind of won out of dumb luck. Yeah. And circumstances out of their control. Yeah. So it just, it doesn't quite feel like a win. And, I mean, Quentin Tarantino was going to name this, like, one of his, you know, 22 favorite films. And he had Sunshine on there, but he said that he took it off because of the ending. Yeah, and it's... I mean, I found myself feeling like I get the point of using that person as that illustration, and mm-hmm. I see the like, you know, butting heads of the two of the two, um, what is it, lines of thought there. Mm-hmm. But um, I almost feel like you could have a much more interesting movie if it was just like eliminate that part altogether and yeah. just have their problems being like dealing with mechanical problems or like you could have all those all the problems they have come up and not have it be this like boogeyman running around right because you already see them butting heads with people who are who are being i don't want to say overly emotional but are being emotional versus being logical yeah because there's a scene when they're voting on whether or not to kill someone 
in order to maintain the air supply. Right. And they say that the vote has to be unanimous. Right. And Rose Byrne holds out. And she knows that by holding out that, like, it puts the mission in jeopardy and, like, they're going to die. But she can't bring herself to vote to kill for some to yeah. kill someone. Lo- basically lose your humanity for this, like, logical side. Mm-hmm. Cassie. I know the argument. I know the logic. You're saying you need my vote. I'm saying you can't have it. And so I feel like we already have that conflict presented in the movie. Sure, yeah. Uh, and in that scene, like, it, it's a great scene because, like, even though, like, we, the audience members, know that, like, what her what she's doing is bad, like, we don't think that she's, like, being stupid or anything like that, you know? Yeah. We're not necessarily faulting her or think that she's being bad, no, I'm not sure how I w- I would vote in that situation. It'd be tough. Yeah, I mean, I wrote that down. Um, who am like, I kidding? Kill them all. You're like, <laughs> I'll do this mission by myself. They're like, so guys, we're gonna be voting uh, on whether or not to kill one of our uh, crewmates, and you're like, yeah, yep, let's do yep. it. Mm-hmm. I guess we should mention that the premise of this movie is that this sun is dying, and yes. these these guys have to go launch a, a nuclear bomb into the sun to... Sort of reignite it. Basically a one-way mission. Yeah. They kind of pretend that maybe they can get back, but it's, a, it's sort of like a foregone conclusion that they're not. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of those science fiction films that I love because, yes, I'm sure a lot of it's pseudoscience... But they really care enough about the pseudoscience to at least make it look believable. Mm-hmm. Like their oxygen garden. Yeah. Like, you know, this big, you know, arboretum harvesting oxygen, yeah. essentially. And growing plants to eat. Yeah. And, I don't know, just like that. That was, well, the amount of work, I, I was reading the Wikipedia page, and the amount of work that went into the front end of this movie mm-hmm. really shows like mm-hmm. Danny Boyle got all these people consulted with all these like NASA experts and like he put the crew through crazy oh did he yeah the, the cast like had to live together for a while oh, wow. he made them like watch a bunch of space movies together he took them on those like anti-gravity planes oh, so that yeah. they were like weightless for a while um just just all sorts of junk and like one of the things that that the, one of the NASA people that they consulted with says uh was the garden like mm. uh, that wasn't planned to be part of it? But they were like, "Look, if you're going to be flying to the sun, that journey is going to take so long yeah. that you can't sustain this many people on rations. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to need this as a, and have oxygen. Like they're, you're going to need this as a source of oxygen, and also they can grow their own stuff. Mm-hmm. And also, apparently, the like day to day activities of like preparing your own food and things like, and then washing your dishes is." Uh, an important part of being in space for a long time because it helps keep your sanity. Oh, okay. So I imagine, like, gardening is, is a good way to help with that, too. Yeah, I can see that. Well, I remember back when I saw 2001 initially, mm-hmm. uh, there's, like, a scene where someone's uh, jogging right. like, around, and uh, I just remember, you know, whichever family member I saw it with initially was talking about how, like, not only is exercise, like, good while you're in space because, like, uh, no gravity can kind of like fuck up your blood pressure, right? right. Uh, but sort of just that task of it kind of keeps you earthbound. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, which is something apparently you have to uh, tackle with uh, 
when you're up in space for long periods of time. I can imagine that, yeah. Or just yeah. general homesickness to anything familiar. Yeah. So, you know, I appreciate that they took the time to, to do this, the pseudoscience. Me too. It really shows. At least the broad strokes of it. Yeah, it, it shows. And, like, I think it shows in the cast building, too. Like, that making them do all that stuff together. Mm. Like, I really felt um, like these people knew how to talk to each other and were very mm-hmm. comfortable around each other. And mm-hmm. I really think they got good performances kind of all around. I will say all around with one exception. I thought Chris Evans was t- Terrible in this. Just. He's not not always that great. No, I thought he was really quite bad in this. He's a regular Dane DeHaan. (laughs) But he's pretty. He is pretty. I'll take Murphy, though, over Chris Evans any day. Did you buy that he's like Earth's greatest physicist? (laughs) That was a little hard for me. Uh, I mean, I found it hard that Chris Evans was an astronaut. <laughs> so, yeah. Earth, yeah, Earth's greatest uh, maintenance astronaut. What was his what was his duty? I don't know. Um, yeah, I could buy it. Are you just saying someone that pretty can't be that good at math? I mean, he just... I just... <laughs> I just didn't... I had trouble buying it. Let's <laughs> just say that. I was picturing somebody older, maybe. I okay. don't know. <laughs> So, Although uh, I suppose on a journey that long, you'd have to get young people to do it. So. Sure. Yeah. So they, they have a, a nuclear bomb that's the size of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, I, you know, the idea is to push it into the sun. Uh, and somewhere along the lines, they get a distress signal from the original ship that went out to do this. That Icarus 1. Icarus 1. They're that, flying on Icarus 2, the squeakle. <laughs> uh, and... The first sort of ethical problem comes about when they get this distress signal from Icarus One that has gone missing for you know seven years or so, and they have to decide whether to like change course to go to this other ship and take its payload. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the ideas is that two bombs to save Earth is better than none. Yeah. Uh, but it, you get an extra life, basically. Yeah, it's a, it's a one-up. <laughs> uh, but they have to reroute, and that comes with complications. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's sort of the big thing. And they, they suspend democracy in this instance, and they give the decision to one person to, to weigh the pros and cons of it, and he runs through it and makes the decision. Everyone, regardless of what anyone else wants, they're going to do what this one person decides. And I'll always remember that scene because that it's like it, them just talking about it's you know really uncinematic mm-hmm. but Danny Boyle films it in such a dynamic way that that discussion scene is one of the most memorable parts in the first part you know first half of the movie or so yeah we're not a democracy we're a collection of astronauts and scientists so we're gonna make the most informed decision available to us Made by you, by any chance? Made by the person best qualified to understand the complexities of your payload delivery. Our physicist. Shit. Besides that scene, I really like, in the first part of this movie, 
the scene where they all get called into the observation lounge to see Mercury moving in front of the sun mm. was a really memorable scene for me. Mm-hmm. Um, a, because it shows, like, kind of, the, it really captures the sort of awe of space, you know, mm-hmm. just seeing how small Mercury looks mm-hmm. moving across the sun. And also because the music that they play, the music, mm-hmm. I really liked the music in general from yeah. this movie. I think it was really well done. Mm-hmm. And, um, just like it's it's a it's weird. There's a lot of like major key warm tonal music going okay. on, and it really kind of brings this sense of uh, it takes some of the scare away from the whole thing. Like okay. it, it puts the focus more that these people are doing something noble, sure, rather okay. than like making you afraid. Because like there's a scene when they go on to the Icarus One. And there's all these shots of these dark hallways and things that are barely... And it's like... It's very haunted house. Yeah, but they have this like pretty like guitar music playing. And it just makes it seem like this is a place that humans lived. Mm. Rather than like, you know, Alien or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, supposed to be scary and intense. Yeah. For some reason, when directors tackle science fiction, like especially like space exploration, mm-hmm. that they... And even great directors do this they sort of succumb to this... I mean, it's really a trope at this point where it's like you get to, like, the edge of the universe or something like that, and then there's something bullshit, you know, <laughs> at, at, at the edge of the galaxy. In contact, like, the thing takes, like, the form of her father. Right. Uh, in Interstellar, it's like he goes back in time to, like, the when he was, like, a kid at the bookshelf and stuff. Right. Uh, in Mission to Mars, there's some sort of, like, all-benevolent being on Mars. It's like, isn't space travel cool enough? <laughs> like, do we really need to add in these sort of, like, superficial love is universal sort of things. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that is one thing that I like about this, is with with the exception of how it gets all event horizon at the end, really it maintains like it is a science fiction movie. Yeah, there's no romantic relationships we have to worry about. There's not a lot of like humor, really, which is fine. Like I do like when... uh, it was Chris Evans and, and Murphy were fighting, and Rose Byrne, like, says into the microphone, she's like, We have an excess of manliness breaking out in the comm center. I don't know if I've mentioned this. Did I say this already? Like, I really love the cast. Like, unlike the casting director for Valerian, who should be fired, <laughs> this casting director needs a promotion. Okay. Because I, I, I mean, I love Rose Byrne. I like Cillian Murphy a lot. I mean, uh, Michelle Yeoh is in this. Yeah. She's great. I'm definitely moving Rose Byrne up in, like, my esteem. Hey, I, I forgot she was in this, but she was really good in this. Yeah. And then I think about, you know... And I didn't... She, she turns around and does Spy, yeah. Bridesmaids or something. I didn't see her either. I saw a character. Yeah. And that's always a good sign, especially with, like, an actress that I love. You yeah. Know? Like, that's... That can be hard sometimes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely... I'm pushing Rose Byrne up in, yeah, in my she's, esteem. She's moving up there. <laughs> Good job, bros. What a stupid fucking retarded toast. You're delightful. Good job on the casting, casting director for this movie. So on the, the topic of, of it being science fiction. Yeah, yeah. You know, when, they, when they're changing uh, the shield, like the sun shield. By the yeah. way, I like the, I really love the, the design on the ship too. Just like yeah. with a huge sun shield in front of them. Okay. So they have a, a huge sun shield because without it, 
they would just burn out. Vaporize. Yeah, like any exposure to the sunlight without the shield would just burn them away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's a part where they're like changing the angle of the shields and it starts creaking and moaning and things like that. And and it's because like the it's cooling off. Right. And so like the metal is like expanding and contracting in different ways. And it's, you know, making this horrible sound. And, like, see, this is, like, when science is interesting enough by itself, like, this is what we get. Yeah. Like, we get this, like, menacing sound, like, that's going through the whole ship, and it makes it sound like the ship's falling apart. Mm -hmm. But, like, you know, the person who engineered is like, this is what happens. Like, this is what it's designed to do. Like, he's not scared, but it sounds scary. Yeah. I mean, this movie does this uh, where it sort of, like, makes the sun sort of, like, God or, like, Mm. this... It's, like, a symbol of God Mm -hmm. or just, like, I don't know, something bigger than us, I suppose. Sure. And then there's, you know, like... And the sun has always been, like, a symbol for religion, too, and God and things like that. And so, like, they they kind of play on that a little bit. And... I think they could have just had it be, it's like the sun be the character of that symbol mm-hmm. rather than bring in, you know, Meltman at the end. And then we could, and then it would have been great to have, you know, then show that we can overcome this fear of, that we have mm-hmm. by putting the nuclear warhead in its uh, southern coronial hole, whatever it was. The sun's cornhole. <laughs> Everyone's laughing and riding and cornholing except Buster. But you know, but then that means that like we've conquered that kind of by, with logic and everything else. And da, 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 da. one of the things that makes sci-fi fun to watch, and it, I, I I would extend this principle to horror movies too. I always feel like directors kind of let their hair down in a certain manner with uh, science fiction or horror. It lets them. Do things that, you know, a period piece wouldn't let them do, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you can play with lighting. You can play with imagery a little bit more, you know? Uh, and this, I was I was watching the colors, and, you know, at first I was like, oh, man, are we going to get an overdose of uh, orange here? Yeah. Teal know, and blue, it is all over this movie. <laughs> it, it, it is all over this movie, but... They do a good job of, like, different rooms have different colors. Like, the blue, obviously, in, like, in the coolant system area. Right. You got plenty of blue there, and then anytime the sun's around, you're getting orange and yellow. Yeah. But there's just, like, warning lights that make room rooms red or green. Right. And it's, you know, one of those things, you know, he probably didn't get to do this in train spotting. you know? Yeah. Uh, he gets to play with light and color in different ways. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie is right as, like, things are starting to go awry, and uh-huh. a fire breaks out in the oxygen uh, garden. Yeah. And Michelle Yao, like, runs down, and they, I mean, they do the logical thing. They release the oxygen in there, because other, it, otherwise it's going to be a slow burn until everything's destroyed. Right. So they just overdo it so that it burns out quickly. Right. And just when it all goes up in flames, it's like there's these glass walls and Michelle is on the other side of it. And she had, you know, put her heart and soul into that oxygen garden. Right. So it all goes up in flames and she's in that, like, glass corridor 
like crying. Right. And like that, it was. But all a... around her, she's just surrounded by orange. Yeah, and it, like it goes up, and like you can just see her silhouette so clearly, and like she's literally in the middle of this fire, but you know, not in danger per se. But yeah. it's just it was just a great looking scene. Like it really, Danny Boyle was really able to to do something visually interesting in that moment. Yeah. I liked what you said earlier about um, he he tends to over direct sometimes, yeah. but then there's sometimes when he when he uses a slight hand, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Like there's just like shots uh, from outside when we see the ship, like a, the, the special effects of the outside of the ship don't draw attention to themselves. He really uses them well and for the story. It okay. feels like um, the sense that like we're always moving towards the sun. I don't know. It's uh, it's good because there's definitely movies, you know, with special effects of space, yeah. things flying, and, and all you can think about was like, how long did they render this? You know, sure. For, I didn't really get that impression watching that. Watching did you get that impression night. while watching Valerian? <laughs> Maybe. So we have like really a, a pretty visually interesting movie. Like we have a lot of variety. Yeah. We have you know the inside, the outside. We have. Uh, interesting moral dilemmas that crop up mm-hmm. uh, dealing with, you know, there's democracy, there's utilitarian principles, there's, you know, chain of command, because at, at one point, the person put in charge is really not qualified to be in charge. <laughs> yeah, just because he's next in command. Yeah, but he sort of immediately cracks under the pressure and does not know how to lead in any sort of way. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, you know, he gives... Murphy at an order at one point, even though like them <laughs> order is very selfish and self-serving. Kappa, I order you to remove that suit. Get out of the suit. And there's sort of this like, do we just follow him because he's the captain, or do we do what we know would be best? Yeah. Uh, and there's just those little tasty moral dilemmas like. They they make, you know, an otherwise static moment really interesting. Mm-hmm. Because we have the interesting stuff going on outside the ship, or, I mean, even inside the ship, but then when it just gets down to, like, two people talking, or, you know, two or three people talking, yeah. it creates a level, a, a different type of tension. Yeah, and especially when the stakes are so bleak. Like, <laughs> yeah. it really draws a sharp contrast as to what is ethical and what isn't you know yeah. it's like in the face of this cir- of these circumstances where you're just like your mission is to go blow up the sun and then blow up yourselves mm-hmm. it's like what are your moral obligations in that uh in that environment um the sun i guess it, it, you were saying earlier how the sun is like a symbol for something bigger than all of us which yeah. makes a lot of sense because the whole movie the sort of uh default is the mission is more important than anything. Right. Like, it's more important than any of us. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yes. Basically. Uh, and then, you know, it really... It shows where the rubber hits the road in, in these utilitarian principles, you know? Uh, yeah. Chris Evans, like, when he's trying to get the... Uh, uh, like, the mainframe, I guess, back into the coolant, like, he has to dive into this... I don't even know what liquid it is, but it basically freezes you pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, 
He also, I noticed when they did the, like, shooting out of the airlock. Yeah. He got frozen. Like, part of his hand got frozen. Yeah. I don't know if there's, like, a symbolic thing there with him getting frozen all the time. Yeah, because he dropped the wrench in the coolant yeah. early in the movie, and, like, yeah, his hand gets frozen. I don't know. Just something to think about. Go ahead. The the default is always that the mission is what's most important, and right. that people are willing to sacrifice at all costs and you know that's the sort of that's the sort of stuff that makes character development interesting is when you have these tough decisions you know if if you develop a character based on like what they want and like what's stopping them from getting it like this is they want to complete their mission and what's stopping them like that you know it's simple screenwriting but it really makes for sort of interesting moral dilemmas yeah that they don't shy away from. It's not like they present a moral dilemma and then some action happens. Like, they lean into all of these moral dilemmas. Which is what makes the stupid milkman suck so much. <laughs> yeah. Because then it's like, oh, here's our bad guy. What? And it's, like, so clear that, like, now we have to fight against him. I really feel that this is a five-star movie until <laughs> Meltman comes in. And it, like, it docks the movie it a sucks. full star. It just like, for seven years, I spoke with God. He told me to take us all to heaven. I mean, not only does like that villain suck, but I feel like the movie gets sloppier once he shows yeah. up. Yeah. The movie doesn't look as good once that guy shows up. I hate, I really hate the way he edits the whole part when they, like, all get on the payload and then, like, launch it off. Finally, that last, like, 10, 15 minutes where they're fighting with him and fall, yeah. it looks terrible. And it's edited weird. It yeah. feels like he's like, oh, I hate this part. I need to, like, dress it up and as much as possible. But there's, no. like, gore that we haven't had before. Like, sure. when your arm gets ripped off, it's like, where the fuck is oh, this coming yeah. from? Yeah. This is out of nowhere. Yeah, it it looks bad. Like, it suddenly looks cheap and shoddy, and, like, they go... It, it just, it's like an airsats Chris Cunningham got pulled in <laughs> to do it. <laughs> you know, it just, and the tone of the movie changed. While I was watching, I was mm. like, it's, it's as much of a shift in, like, the tone of the movie as in adaptation. Yeah. Like, at the end, when it suddenly becomes this, like, action chase movie. Yeah. But unlike adaptation, <laughs> it wasn't building up to this change. It doesn't serve the story one bit. You know, I was just waiting for like Celine Murphy to turn to like the camera and be like, drop some shades and be like, "It's daylight savings time," <laughs> you know, and like drop the missile and kisses hotter than hell comes on. Oh god. <laughs> That's what, like, the last 10, 15 minutes feels like. Sucks. It really does. And then, I actually really like the last, like, two, three minutes of, it's like a sentimental ending. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, they actually complete it because it's like, you know, he says, So if you wake up one morning and it's a particularly beautiful day, you'll know we made it. And it's in Sydney that's all snowed over and then the sun gets brighter. Yeah. It's like, that's a great... That's great. Light I mean, at the end of the tunnel. I'm like, totally literally. happy with that ending, but yeah. like the 10, 15 minutes up until that point are like, God, this is so bad. Because in, in the movie's so well written that I have no reason to think that they could have taken Meltman out and just put in 
something else. To me, they could have gone the gravity route, you know? Mm -hmm. And just, like, had the trials be fighting with the uh, technical problems of being humans in space. You know, like, have those problems arise and then, like, deal with it that way. Like, have the enemy be just space in general, you know? Like, that's very interesting to me. I mean, gravity is a good example of a science fiction movie where they just let the science aspect of it be the interesting part of the movie. And yeah. I don't know anyone who, like, walked away from Gravity thinking, like, mm, you know, could use some more love. <laughs> if we could add something in there that, that talked about the universal nature of love. I wish she had, like, a, a fight scene out in, like, the spacesuit with a, with a cosmonaut or something. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah. Just... Gravity's like 90 minutes, and you're holding your breath the whole time. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. And that movie was, like, the first one that really got me thinking, like, man, space does not give a fuck no. about us, you know? And, like, the sun doesn't either. Like, we we tend to think of the sun, on Earth, we tend to think of the sun as, like, this benevolent thing that keeps us warm and makes flowers grow and blah, blah, blah. But it's, like, it is a giant ball of gas that could not give a fuck about us. Right, if we were, like two, three degrees closer or further from the sun, it would just be a barren wasteland yeah. on this planet. <laughs> so, it's, uh, yeah, it's terrifying, really, yeah. to think about what the sun actually is. I ever, Whenever I see those, like, you know, infographics of, like, this is how big the Earth is compared to the sun, oh, yeah. it's like, and our sun isn't even that big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a medium-sized star. Ugh. It just... Like, really illustrates how small we are. <laughs> how tiny and how much the universe does not care. <laughs> yeah. And the universe is pretty indifferent to uh, what you and I do. Yeah, and that seems like a much scarier enemy than, you know, religion or yeah. man. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like they almost could have worked in, like, the space madness part. Had it been, you know, maybe an existing crew member... You know, because the, there there was already hints of, like, the dude from the beginning that, like, ultimately sacri- sacrificed himself. Right, 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 That he was sort of veering towards this. Like, he was sort of, like, really testing the limits of how much sun he could take. Right. E- even if they introduce, like, that element of, like, say, sabotage or something from that guy. Yeah. It would have been more satisfying than what we had. Yeah. and It's, it's just so improbable. And it, it's just, it's such a shame because the movie is so good. It really is. Yeah. The first time I saw this, I remember feeling the exact same way. Being yeah. Like really on board until that guy came in and then just sort of being like, wait, who is this guy? They don't introduce him very well either. No. Like, so it just feels like there's this zombie running around out of nowhere. Yeah. Like you get the, like the clips, like they see like the security log or something from the Icarus one. Yeah. And then you, you know, you hear that, like, based on, like, how much, how many people are left on board, there's only so much oxygen left, and you get, oh my god, there's a fifth person. Yeah. It diminishes the film in a really unfortunate way. Danny Boyle sometimes makes some unfortunate decisions. <laughs> he's, he's so talented, but I just, I feel like he's afraid that his audience will get bored, so then he just overdoes it, like, when the pressure's on to, like, really sell a moment. Yeah. That he can't just you know, rest confidently on what he's doing. He has to completely overdo it. Mm-hmm. And in some cases it works. Like, I like train spotting. Yeah. And, like, that baby scene in that oh, movie is, yeah. like, 
is over the top. And I think it's effective, though. Really effective in that movie. Did you ever see Shallow Grave? Mm-hmm. It was his first one. Oh, okay. With Ewan McGregor? You never saw it? No. Oh, yeah. Uh, does I mean, he get naked? I don't think he does. Mm. It, it was... We'll see if I get around to it. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, young Ewan McGregor was pre-train spotting. Does he smile? He does smile. Okay, fine. I'll watch it. he's a scoundrel. Mm. He's such a rakish little man, isn't he? <laughs> it's good, though. And it's one of those movies that, even though, like, there's a couple scenes where, like, Danny Boyle is, like completely over directing Mm -hmm. it's almost like he's over directing to distract us from like the subtle foreshadowing that he's doing oh okay because like by the time like the twist kicks in i was like oh he made this totally obvious the whole time i just wasn't looking at it yeah he's yeah it's funny he's he's a good director that just doesn't know sometimes when to rein it in yeah it's a shame because this is a this is a really good movie that just suffers from that from that one element, yeah. really. Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah, it's, it's a really enjoyable, really interesting, visually and subject matter-wise. It's ruined. With the exception of uh, the gimp scene in Pulp Fiction, why do you think Tarantino doesn't do sex scenes? I guess I would assume he doesn't uh, do sex scenes because they don't serve his stories, really. I just feel that with, with his love for exploitation and Grindhouse, that you'd have some like nudity in there someplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just some gratuitous sex. Because, I mean, we definitely get gratuitous violence. Well, I mean, I don't want to say gratuitous. Gratuitous makes it sound like it's not necessary. Stylized violence. Yeah. Um, There's yeah. that scene where um, Robert De Niro and uh, Bridget oh, Fonda are fucking. Right, right. <laughs> In Jackie Brown. Yeah. Want to fuck? Yeah. Okay, so there is one in there. Because he, he doesn't shy away from romance, necessarily. Like, right. There are definitely characters who are romantically interested in one another throughout his movies. Right. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that'd be a good question for him in a Q&A. Yeah, just a thought. Yeah, interesting. Well, speaking of sex scenes, I'd like to tell you about the movie I've chosen for next week. Yes. It has some of those in it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, th- this movie popped in my head when we did Magic Mike, because okay. it's a, a road trip movie, um, and it's sexy. And I, uh, I wanted to throw one more in there since it's road trip season still. Uh, and um, it's getting to those hot, sticky, sweaty days of summer. Um, and I think I want to watch uh, Itu Mama Tambien. Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time either. And I really like it. I remember really liking it. So. Uh, I do like me some Gail Garcia Bernal. Yeah, his. Uh, prim- Premiere movie? Oh, was it? Okay. I think so. Uh, I, I haven't done any research yet, but Diego Luna, too. Yeah, but well, yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. Yeah, Alf- uh, um, we haven't done an Alfonso Cuaron movie yeah, yet. That's so. true. Well, then I guess I'll have to take Harry Potter 3 off my list. 
Sorry, I should have cleared that with you. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I feel like we'll have lots to talk about with that. Okay. So, All right. Yeah, great. That sounds good. Cool. Plug our junk. Plug our junk. Follow us on Twitter at xratedmovies. Send us an email x.rated.movies at gmail.com. You could uh, like our Facebook page at ratedxmovies. And uh, also rate, review, subscribe in the iTunes store. We love hearing what you think about us and our voices. And our opinions. Yeah, all those things. Mm-hmm. We have a Patreon. You want to send us to Podcom. Mm-hmm. 2017. Here in Seattle. <laughs> we need to pay for that lift ride. <laughs> I guess we'll see you next week. Yeah. Eat to Mama Tambien. Hot, sweaty summertime. Let's get sexy. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Bye. Bye.